0: Better and smoother. Oh, there we could go. go back to an assembly order that flows a little smoother than what we've been doing during the COVID times. So, as you'll see, we'll uh, be in the process of of doing that here in the next weeks. And also, here a, a while back, as uh, the elders and deacons and myself sat down, and we said, as we are starting to move out of the quarantine times and uh, looking for the new normal and what that is going to look like going forward. What are the most important things that we can do as a church, and that's what we wanted to focus on. What are the most important things that we can do to um, to move forward and start dreaming again and thinking about, you know, what does the future hold, and what can God do with us instead of uh, still dreaming but still feeling on some level that we're just kind of hanging on like a cat on the middle roof, you know what's next, and what's going to change next week and that? And so the first thing we thought about is it's a, it's a good time to ask the church again. To appoint or go through the process of appointing additional elders, and so in 2018 we went through the process and we spent a lot of time with it. And we, uh, I think I, I preached for 11 weeks straight on elders, and then we uh, spent quite a bit of time going through the process. And it was helpful and it was a blessing, I think, for the church for all of us. And so, but we don't believe we need to go through that whole process again. So it's going to be uh, quite abbreviated. All. Uh, the next four, ses, four Sundays after today, I'm going to talk about spiritual leadership, different aspects of what it means to be an example and to lead others spiritually. We'll talk about elders in that. And then after that, we'll go through the process. But it's not going to be uh, uh, where where all of our effort and attention is being placed into that like it was last time. And that was appropriate and necessary last time. But since we've been through it not too long ago, uh, we can we can go through it and um, without... Uh, digging without laying the foundation over again, so as elders and deacons myself we 're excited about that because if we can um, if there 's others in the church, other men that can and will serve as elders, then that 's going to be a blessing for the rest of the church, and all of that just trickles down so if you didn 't get a hold of the letter there 's a letter there in the back that gives uh, some more details we 'll send it out again by flock note this week, and uh, well, I invite everybody uh, to remember. To pray for it, uh, pray for this process, because this isn't a decision that just a few people make. But this is; these are decisions that we make as a church community, all walking side by side. And so, your input and your thoughts and prayers are important. And uh, this is something we, again, we do together. All right, we're going to go into as um, uh, this question here. In the last couple months or so, I've spent time talking about why I'm a Christian, why what we see in Scripture uh, we can really believe, why it's important, uh, why it makes sense on some level to us as humans as much as it can. In the last couple of weeks, especially I've spent time talking about what are some of the major uh, major issues that our world has with Christians and why so many would say, I'm not going to be a Christian because of this or that or whatever. And so I know that for myself... Walking through these discussions again has put some muscle into my faith. It's just helpful to remember these things. I recommended several books uh, like Mere Christianity from uh, C.S. Lewis or Timothy Keller's uh, The um, The Reason for God. Some of those books, like any others, there's some bones to pick out, but there's a wealth of a great knowledge and understanding that helps us go deeper in understanding and believing, hey, this Christianity stuff is really worthwhile. So for today, we're going to talk about this. Will Christianity steal my freedom? Is it going to take away all of my free agency? Now, as a person, we love to be free agents, right? We love to be able to make our own decisions, be able to do our own thing. And boy, if anybody else, especially here in North America, tells me what to do with my life, I tell them to buzz off, right? And uh, they can go mind their own business, right? And so when it gets time to... When it gets down to Christianity, here we have the idea is this God up there is telling me what to do. I'm not going to live in this straight jacket, right? How many of you have ever heard somebody talk like that? Right? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you, okay, if we're going to be honest, how many of us have felt like that sometimes? My hand's up, okay? I'm not just doing this to get your hand up. I've felt it. I've wrestled. Okay, I do continually sometimes wrestle with my own shortcomings and thinking, man, God, why did you do things this way? I kind of, uh, I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. So let's talk about this. Here's some thoughts from skeptics that I found. Christians believe that they have the absolute truth that everyone else has to believe, or else that attitude endangers everyone else's freedoms. So if you have a group of people running around saying, you got to believe this or else, then... That's the enemy to freedom, right? Or a one-truth-fits-all approach is just too confining. The Christians I know don't seem to have the freedom to think for themselves. I believe each individual must determine truth for him or herself. So in other words, who are you to tell me what's true and what's not, right? So every individual must be able to have the freedom to determine that for themselves and not one is better than the other. That's the idea there. Even, think about this, even our Supreme Court in uh, the, the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey, said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of the meaning of the universe, and the mystery of human life. What? They just say that Anybody can decide what the meaning of life is, and there's no overarching uh, mission that we have. Just what you come up with, what I come up with, as we're sitting around coffee with nothing else is as good as anything else. Man, is that where we're at? Think about this. Christianity looks like the enemy, to many, of social cohesion, cultural adaptability, and even authentic personhood. Because if there's some kind of absolute truth out there, then that messes with everybody else. However, and this is what we're going to walk through here in the next few minutes, this objection is based on mistakes about, first of all, the nature of truth. And we're going to talk about the nature of truth. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about Christianity and, and just how, uh, what it's all about. Because I believe, and probably most of us here would believe this as well, is that, some of these accusations are just, they're not founded on solid principles. So we're going to wrestle through that. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's start with this idea of truth. Now, there's, there's the idea out there, and it's called postmodernism, is that your truth is as good as my truth, and there's no way to determine what absolute truth is out there. Absolute truth, again, is just a figment of our own biological evolution, and whatever you decide is and whatever i decide is fine. Here's the problem, okay, to start with, is that if i say there is no absolute truth out there, do you see what i've just done? I have just stated an absolute truth, right? That there can't be one. And so by stating that there's no absolute truth, i've but nobody's nobody's as bad as a praying mantis, you know, there's all these terrible things in nature, and when people talked about Hitler or Mao Zedong or Stalin or those guys, when they say, wait a minute, we've got to eliminate sections of society and just just eliminate these people, the rest of the world rises up and says, no, 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 wait a minute here, that's not right, that's wrong because you can't do that. And you see, we can't seem to get around it that there's some kind of truth there as people. And so to live like there is no absolute truth in practice is scary and destructive because if so I'm going to live like there's no absolute truth, if you come into my house with a gun later today and say, God told me to take the lives of your family. If I'm living according to the idea that there's no absolute truth, I really have nothing to say about it except to respond with force and power. Man, is that a scary way to live when there's no absolute truth out there? And so we as, Christians just can't, or we as people, as mankind, can't seem to get around that there's some kind of truth out there. Hey, what about this? Community, the idea is that there's communities out there, communities should be completely and totally inclusive of everybody, anybody that wants to participate. The reality is if we look a little below the surface, that's not true of any community, because every human community holds in common some beliefs that necessarily create boundaries, including some people and including and excluding others from its circle. Let me give you an example, and I read this example this week, and it was helpful for me to think about, so I hope it's helpful for you as well. What happens if someone is on the board of directors of a community uh, that's this community's whole purpose is to advocate for the rights of people who choose the gay, lesbian, transgender lifestyle, and this board of directors is really active in promoting uh, this, this agenda that's out there, And what happens is someone on this board of directors comes into the meeting one day and says, Man, I've had a religious experience and a spiritual conversion, and I have decided that living out the homosexual lifestyle is sinful, and it's wrong. Let's think about it from a different perspective here. What if someone is on the board of directors who is uh, this, this board of directors is a part of a community that their whole purpose is to uh, preserve uh, marriage relationships between a man and woman from a, a biblical Christian perspective. And the person comes to the board meeting one day and says, you know, I've been thinking about this. I have a child that has chosen to uh, pursue the gay lifestyle, and I believe it's wrong that they cannot marry their significant other. You see, in both of those situations, the person who is sitting on that board, at some point, the board is going to say, you know, you can't be on this board anymore because you don't look anything like us. You're not anything... The things that you're promoting are not the things that we're promoting. Now, in our world, one one of these groups would be considered open-minded and one of them wouldn't. But you see, the reality is, when we're part of communities, there's always parameters that allow some people in and some people not. That's just part of being community. The bigger question is this. Which community has the belief that leads its members to treat persons in other communities with love and respect to serve them and meet their needs? Which community has beliefs that lead them to attack others instead of treating them with kindness, fairness, and humility? And here's the kicker. Because we as Christians, what God has told us, remember the the things he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is... Love your neighbor as yourself, because God has given us a foundation for how to interact with people that are different from us. Instead of taking up arms and blowing their heads off or whatever, our job is to say, okay, we're not on the same page, but I'm going to treat you with kindness, I'm going to love you regardless of all this. I'm going to show that in my actions. You see what God has done here? He's created the church to be a community that has the faculties and has the instruction with how do we deal with things that are different than us. And Jesus, when you follow his life, you see him going the extra mile over and over and over again with the religious leaders, trying to bring them on board, trying to teach them. And it wasn't until he got to the end of his life and there was so much destruction that he said that what you're doing here is destroying the lives of others, you're destroying your lives as well. But in all of that, Jesus said those things from a place of love, from a place of caring for others, saying, I don't want you to go down this road of destruction for you or anybody else around. And so let's not kid ourselves in our world that there's communities out there that are completely inclusive of everybody, because that's not the case. The reality is, is every community has boundaries, but as a a community, as a church, how are we going to respond to others that are different than us? That's a a key, and that's a question that uh, Christianity answers, that many other religions of the world don't answer at all. You know, instead of lop somebody's head off, let's, let's sit down. Let's come together. Let's talk. That's what Jesus teaches us. Think about this. Christianity, here's another aspect of this discussion, is that Christianity, like many other religions of the world, is not culturally rigid. It's amazing to me, some of, um, I, know, I hope I'm not making, a, making that too loud here, If you look at, for example, where Islam sprouted up in that area or where Hinduism uh, sprouted up or where Buddhism sprouted up, those places where those religions came from are still the centers. If you think just a few minutes about Christianity, you notice that the centers of people uh, or Christianity or Christendom or whatever we want to call it has changed many times throughout history. It started in Jerusalem, and Acts talks about it. It went out from Jerusalem into Samaria and Judea and, and to the ends of the earth. And much of Christian history is written from Europe. In the last couple of centuries, it moved here. North America was a place that a lot of Christian history was written. And, and anybody who is in missions now or in church history will tell you that it's very quickly moving away from here. South America and Africa, those are places where Christian people are becoming Christians right and left. You know, in 1900, about 9% of the African continent would have identified themselves as followers of Christ or Christian. And that includes everybody. You know, that percentage now is way over 40% and includes many, many more people who would call Jesus their Lord than, than uh, Islam and Muhammad. Many, many more. Because that's what happens, is the message of Jesus goes out, and it's not it's not confined to a geographical area, and if it's removed from a geographical area, it doesn't work. Wherever the message of Jesus goes, it's culturally relevant for people that are there, right there, right where they're at. It's totally different. Now, as, as Christians, sometimes we can put our own cultural bias, there's... Many, many examples of Europeans going, or Americans going different places and teaching people to be Americans more than Christians, and that's not what I'm talking about. But when the message of God gets out there, it doesn't matter where a person's from. It doesn't matter what their language is. In fact, the Bible can be translated into any language and still speak. That's not true of many other religions of the world. If you don't read it in the original language, it doesn't count. But that's not true of Christianity. It's never been that case. Is that whatever your language is, that you hear it, you hear the message of Jesus, it's culturally relevant and it transforms you. It's amazing how when we go from place to place around the world where Christians meet, there's places like us where we look around. We have a dedicated building where we meet and we come together and, and we sing and we pray. We share the words of God. And there's people all around the world today on the Lord's Day that are meeting in basements and houses, that are meeting under trees and the plains in Africa, all over but there's some things that we have in common and there's some things that each one of us could walk into our assemblies with each other and say, hey, I'm among brothers and sisters here. We're not speaking the same language, we're different color, all that. But Christianity is absolutely culturally relevant to anywhere. In fact, the, um, the secularism in, the, in America that uh, sometimes is promoted around the world can do more to destroy communities because it places an emphasis on individual instead of communities. And the rest of the world doesn't function that way. There's a lot of destruction that comes from uh, just our own way of looking at things uh, being placed on other communities. But again, Christianity isn't like that. Give people the Bible, give people the New Testament, and they can follow God. Okay, So Christianity isn't culturally rigid. It's culturally relevant wherever a person hears the message of God in its simple form. But freedom, let's think about this. Okay, another angle of this. Freedom isn't as simple as saying everyone do what they want, or everyone can and should do whatever they want. Okay, think about it. Let's think about it in this way. Um, Is there anybody here who's a piano player? I know that my son takes lessons, a few of us. um, Kelton plays piano there in the back. I've heard Kelton. He plays beautifully. It's amazing listening to him. But if a person is born. And has this great ability for music and great ability to be able to play the piano, for example. What happens if they wake up every morning and say, you know, I feel like I'm not doing that. I'm just not going to practice. I'm not going to sit down at the piano. I'm not going to do any of that. Would that person ever improve and be the piano player that they were designed to be? No, it's not going to happen. They're exercising their freedom to do whatever they want. But what it takes is a person to say, I'm going to wake up every morning and I'm going to pursue this because I see there's something in here that I love, there's some gift that is deep within me that I'm going to pursue playing the piano because I want that and I want that to come out. And I know that I've been to concerts where you can hear whether it be a band or someone playing the piano or orchestras or whatever and you just listen and you think, oh man, how amazing, how beautiful that is. But what it takes is someone saying, I will give up the freedom to do whatever I want right at this moment in time so that I can become what I have been designed to, to be. I was uh, spent some time yesterday at a track meet. Belgrade hosted Gallatin High here at, in town. And watching these kids run, and I got to work the finish line uh, with a few other people, and it's, I just love it. I really enjoy it. And as I was watching these kids You know that some of them have put a lot of effort into accomplishing what they they do. Uh, The um, 300 hurdles, and those guys came around that corner, and they were closing the gap. You can tell it's early in the season because there was wipeout after wipeout that happened. These guys have nothing left, and feel like big wipeouts, like huge wipeouts right in front of the crowd, and they got up and dusted themselves off. But you can tell that they're working on it. Instead of doing whatever they want. They're disciplining their body to be something that they can grow into. You see what's happening here? Let's look at it from the other side. There's a, how many of you watch, watch football on occasion at least, anyway? Okay. Yeah, offensive linemen in the NFL right now are my size, plus about 100 pounds. Okay, think about that. So you've got someone who's 6'5", 6'6", plus about 100 pounds of muscle on me. Big, big dudes. So what happens if someone is 125 pounds and says, I want to be an offensive lineman. I have the freedom to decide I'm going to be an offensive lineman. I'm going to dedicate every waking moment to be an offensive lineman in the NFL. What's going to happen, Phil? It's not going to go very well, is it? It's going to be rough because there's no way that that person was designed to do that. They're designed to do some things by God but they're not designed to be an NFL offensive lineman. There's no way. They're, they don't have the strength or, or or power to be able to do it. Think about another example here. How many of you like to fish? Caught fish. Yeah, I love it. Just watching that uh, fish come out of the water. Cutthroat are my favorite. They're just beautiful, beautiful animals. And what if that cutthroat is swimming around and says, You know, I'm really tired of being in this water. I'm really sick of it. Because I can only... Be here, you know. I, I, when I go up and I catch a fly on the surface and I look around, I see so, much, so many amazing places out there, and I'm going to go visit those places. And so I'm getting out of that water today. Man, we laugh at that, don't we? Because that fish biologically is designed to stay in the water and thrive in the water. And the moment they get out of the water, man, it's not very good. Things are going really, really badly for them. Then why on earth would we think, if that's the case, that we can look around and every person can decide what ultimate truth is for them because none of the rest of the world looks that way. None of it does. And for whatever reason, as mankind, we say, okay, well, you know, your truth is your truth, this truth is over here. But we would never say that to a fish. We'd never say it to a 125-pound lineman. We'd say, hey, get your act together. It's not going to work. This isn't going to fly. To track athletes and piano players, we say, that giving up some of your freedom in order to pursue something greater is worth every bit of it because that's what you're designed to do. And so you see the the idea here is that instead of insisting on freedom to create spiritual reality, shouldn't we be seeking to discover it and disciplining ourselves to live, living according to it? Instead of saying, well, I'm going to choose whatever my freedom is, we say, "And there's truth out there, and I will stop at nothing to connect with this God that is there. Because that's what this is all about. That's what's important. We're going to take this another step further here, is that love is the most liberating freedom loss of all. To experience the joy and freedom of love, you must give up your personal autonomy. Let me talk about that for a minute. I remember when I was in college, and uh, some people, when they showed up to York college, they were ready to get married the moment they stepped on campus and they were on the hunt and, and all of that. And so I was not that way. But I remember after the first year or so of being in school there, my friends, my guy friends, started dropping like flies. That's how I said it. What happened is they would meet somebody and they would start dating this person. And then all of a sudden, they didn't want to go ride their bike around town till 3 in the morning. I mean, what on earth? They cared about their grades a whole lot more. What? And all of a sudden, these guys started changing. And I thought, what on earth? You know, my, me and my buddies of singles were like, man, this guy's lost it. He's whooped. He, he's got it. You know, he, he can't do anything anymore. And we would joke about this sort of thing as our friends are dropping like flies. But, you know, there's a few of us. We're going to ride our bike to 3 a.m. around town. I shouldn't have said that. My kids heard that, right? But, you now we're going to ride our bikes. We're going to do our thing. And that's what uh, I'm not giving up my freedom to drop everything at a moment's notice and head to the mountains and hike. There's no way I'm going to give that stuff up. I lived that way for a while, looking around at people who had submitted themselves to long term relationships and commitments on the outside, thinking, what's that all about? As I've shared, when my wife came along, And all of a sudden, I found myself looking at my skis and looking at her and saying, I don't need to go ski tomorrow. Let's hang out. Let's go do something totally different. I remember on hikes not thinking, as I had one speed when I hiked before I started, I got married, and that was all on, you know, kind of thing. Man, my wife and I got married and she said, Chris, slow down. For crying out loud. Nobody walks that fast. All right. And it wasn't a burden for me. I was like, yeah, that's fine. That sounds great. I noticed that uh, when we, at the track meet yesterday, there's a number of parents that are there. They're helping out. And we had a great time. And we get to know each other throughout the season because our kids are running. And we pull for each other's kids. And we hoop and holler. And what I noticed about those parents that are standing around there, is that many of them were ex-athletes at some point in time. We talk about that. And as I look around, that most of us are carrying several more pounds than we should because we've said, we're excited about being here at the track meet instead of doing something else because we want to give our kids the opportunity to do what we could do, or maybe even more. And I'll pack these few pounds around, and that's okay, and I'm great with it because priority is I want my kids to have this opportunity. I love my kids. I love these other kids. And it's no burden to not be in tip-top physical shape anymore. You see the, the point here is that if there's going to be love in any relationship, then what we have to do is decide I am going to give up some freedom and not do just what I want all the time in order to be in this relationship. We do that, right? We do that with our friends. We do that with our spouses. That's just how we roll. And it becomes second nature for us. And when someone walks up to us and says, Boy, you can't make decisions for yourself anymore. Um, You have to run everything by your family now, right? And that doesn't really happen. But if someone walked up to me and said that, I would say, Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't change it for the world. I will gladly give up my freedom because I love my family. Okay, let's take one more step here. You see where this is going? Love is the most liberating freedom loss of all. Other religions of the world, relationship works one direction. God is up there somewhere. We're down here somewhere. We do what the God up there says. That's the idea. And I'm oversimplifying, but that's the gist of it. But you notice what happens here with the life of Jesus? Is This is a two-way relationship that both sacrifice for the relationship or the friendship that we have with God. And you always see these signs at football games or basketball games. For God so loved the world. You catch that? God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So did God give up something in order to pursue the relationship with us? Was God willing to sacrifice something of himself so that we could walk side by side, and absolutely, you see what's happening here? is this is a two-way street. God has said, "Oh yes, yes, you do to follow me, you're going to have to give up freedom, but I'm going to show you how. Watch this. Let me do this. Here you have another scripture from Second uh, Corinthians chapter uh, five verses 14 to 15. "For christ's love compels us. The idea of being compels means." leading me to change, leading me to be different. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all. Those, that those who, sh- who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Think about that scripture. And what Paul is saying is he is sharing his heart with the people there in Corinth, he's saying, yeah, absolutely. Christ's love compels me to be different. And compels me to change. And if someone would ask him, Paul, is Christianity a straitjacket? Has it cramped your style? Is it taken away all your freedom to be able to do whatever you want? He'd say, no. Christianity has taken some of my own personal freedom away. Yes, I can't do whatever I want. Yes, I discipline my body so that after I have shared the message with others, I'm not disqualified. Yes, I've chosen to live by the fruit of the Spirit and not have the sinful nature just dwell in me. Yes, I have chosen that i can't do whatever i want but what i've learned about the message of jesus is that all these guidelines and teachings and example and rules at times that he shared with me are all designed to get me in step with my creator so that i can be what god has designed me to always be i love the relationship And whatever I have to give up, I am more than happy to do so in order to stay in this wonderful relationship with my Creator. Oh, yeah. Am I whooped? Sure. Absolutely. Because this God is so good that I'm so excited to give up whatever I need to. It's not a straitjacket, it's not a burden. I'm thrilled to be one who walks side by side with God. Think about these couple of quotes here Freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints. But is finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. And the love of Christ constrains, as Second Corinthians five talks about. And once you realize how Jesus changed for you and gave himself up for you, remember God showed us this example. You aren't afraid of giving up your freedom and therefore finding your freedom in Him. And those statements resonated with me, and so I thought I would share them. So is Christianity a straitjacket? Is water a straitjacket for fish? <laughs> the fish doesn't think so. The fish loves where it lives, can thrive and, uh, and grow and, and be what it was designed to be. And the same is true for us. Is that Christianity isn't some religion that God said, all right, here we go, I'm going to set down these rules and, and there we go, this is just going to sprout out of my head. But Christianity is very simply God reaching out to mankind saying, here it is. This is what I've designed you to do. This is what I've created you to be. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what relationship is. I'm going to sacrifice my son. I'm going to step way out of my comfort zone as a creator. And what I'm asking you to do is do the same. Step out of what you want to be. Step out of those desires. Say, now I'm going to to be what I want to be and nobody's going to tell me different. Step out of all that. Dear hell, that. And you come and you follow me. And I'm going to teach you how to be more you than you ever thought you could be. Hang on for the ride. It's going to be beautiful. And this is going to be this relationship that we walk life side by side together with. And that's good news. And there's not a straitjacket in that anywhere. And if that's uh, hopefully what I hope all of us walk away from this morning, is being reminded that Christianity doesn't cramp our style. If we feel that way, what it is very simply is that sinful nature that's trying to wrestle in there saying, hey, this is what you want to be. Don't give up this part of self. What, you know, whatever. But when we finally let that go and say, all right, God, you're in. <laughs> you're in charge. I'm in. Then the freedom that comes from that is beautiful, wonderful, and amazing. And uh, just as fish find life in water, the early church talked about how we find life in water. We go into baptism and our Lives are changed or transformed. Sins are washed away. You can do that today. Uh, again, if you want uh, prayers of the, the church, you're welcome to head to the back. And there's, uh, the elders will be back there. And, and uh, you never have to walk through anything alone in this life. We walk through life together, side by side, just like God does with us. We're going to go into the Lord's Supper, and then we will uh, uh, sing our way out. Um, have a blessed Lord's Day.